open up your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read, and then we're all going to put helmets on, and you guys are going to promise not to throw anything till after, at the end of the service, and then we're going to study the scriptures together. Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Last night when I was reading this portion of scripture, that, that part was the most important to me. Oh, as to the Lord. As to the Lord, and that seals the deal and makes everything legit. When you do anything as unto the Lord, it's right. When you do anything as unto the Lord, it's safe. When you do anything as unto the Lord, you have him and his cooperation and his power and his prominence and his provision to go alongside of you. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He gives then the reason. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he, that is Christ, is the savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, and we would say, yeah, hurrah. By the way, before I forget to even pull this point out, there are churches today that are not subject to Christ. You've heard of them, right? There are churches, by and large, all over the place, churches that gather on Sundays and Saturdays and Wednesdays and other days, and they're not subject to Christ. They're subject to their own ideas, their own gathering, and their own perspectives, and their own opinions. He says, you know what? The church, the, the church, the church, the bride, the bride, the church loves Jesus, and that's what I want this church to ultimately be known for, not our hoodies or our size or our beards. Ooh, but wouldn't it be fun if our church was known for, we love Jesus so much, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Without Jesus, we're nothing, and with Jesus, we're everything. And that's, and that's what he says, the church is subject to Christ. That's a beautiful thing. He says, as the wife is subject to her husband, so too the church is to be subject to Christ. And I just say that again to remind you, not all churches are into that. Not all churches are into Christ. They're into churchiosity. One time I met with, the, no, I shouldn't tell the story. I'm not telling the story. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> keep reading here. Verse 25, he then transitions, Paul does, in these directions to walking in the spirit for the church at Ephesus, for the church now. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. And he gave himself for her. I'm so glad he added those extra parts to describe what this love looks like. He could have just said, husbands, love your wives. And the husband would say, got it, check, next. <laughs> but instead, he gave a little bit of clarity. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And right then, the husband's ears perk up. He's like, wait, say that again? And gave himself for her. Whoa, rubber meeting the road hard. Loving your wife is more than just saying, I do, <laughs> on your wedding day. You know, more than just paying the bills and making sure things run right. I'm so thankful for this extra weight that God has put, that Paul has put, that Christ has put on husbands. Because if we didn't have this extra weight, husbands, to clarify what loving our wives looked like, I guarantee you we wouldn't do it right. We would do it wrong. Because we, in our base nature, do everything wrong without God's guidance through his word. Both husbands and wives need this. He goes on to describe what it looks like. Verse 26. That he, 
This is what Christ did. That Christ might sanctify and cleanse her, that is the church, with the washing of the water by the word. The word. He goes on to say, verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Wow. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but instead he nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. I need you to notice as we weave through here, there's three characters being illuminated, aren't there? Three characters. There's husbands, there's wives, and there's Christ. And he's going through the declaration of what we are to do and the instruction of how we are to live. But he's also going into the clarification of what Christ already did. I just need you to settle into that, husbands and wives, as he tells us what to do and who to be. He keeps pointing back to Jesus and what he's already done. And that gives you and I the safety net, the seatbelt, the savings account spiritually that allows us to do the impossible that allows us to do the uncomfortable, that allows us to walk in the things that only we could do if God were with us, not against us. He goes on to say this, verse 30, for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. These instructions given to husbands and wives are given because Christ says, you're me. You husbands are me. You wives are me. And so if you do it how I say, if you follow my instruction, then we'll all be good. If you serve the word in the way he says, you're serving Christ specifically. You don't need to raise your hands. But isn't that the goal of everything in your life? I just want to make Jesus happy. I just want to love him better. He loved me first, now I love him. And even that love is seen in my lifestyle, in my decisions. And it starts with my thinking. Because as a man thinks, so he is. It goes on to say this, verse 31. For this reason, he quotes now out of the Old Testament. Paul quotes this. God wrote this. Jesus quotes this. Just so you know, this is kind of an important verse. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. It's the leave and cleave principle. That a man and woman shall leave their father and mother and cleave one to another. This is the way it works. This is the only way it works. This is how it ought to work. He goes on then finally to say, this is a great mystery. <laughs> Can we all just give him a little laugh there? He, he, he called marriage and men and women to coming together, Mars and Venus, colliding a mystery. Can we all just be like, thanks, Paul. Finally, you get it. It's a mystery, man. This thing's cray-cray. Husbands and wives, and he just gives us six or seven verses to make it all harmonious. But he ends saying, oh, by the way, this is crazy. This is a mystery, this whole thing of marriage. And I don't know, but I've been married 15 years, okay, so I'm kind of an expert. And uh, on the fact that I don't know anything, okay, I'm serious. Like, I wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I should have taken notes, you know, should have figured this out. He says, this is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, this isn't just about you. This isn't just about me. Your whole life, your singleness, your manhood, your womanhood, your marriedness, your youthfulness, your older personness. It's not about you. Every stage you and I get to live, <sighs> take a pulse, take a breath. Oh, every stage we get, 
is about displaying God's glory, God's goodness, God's purpose. Man, I get so weirded out when I think it's about me. When, when I think it's about me and my reputation and about my kingdom, we only get like 80 years and we're done. Maybe 90th by strength. And even then we're like, 80's fine. You know, <laughs> who wants not? We're, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. And this gives, we just sang that song, When I Fly Away. Man, I love that song. Kind of a weird song, isn't it? Like you're singing about dying. Like, I can't wait, you know. And I'm sitting in the back going, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Because my kingdom is so shallow and so superficial and so weird and so temporal. And God's kingdom, though, has been building and it has been being formed. And it will be forever and ever and ever. Verse 33, he, though, says, as mysterious as marriage is, as men and women are, he gives us the final conclusion on the matter, and this would be worth highlighting and underlining. I have it in my Bible. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, that means don't worry about anybody but yourself, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He ends this whole thing saying it's really simple, love and respect, love and respect, that a man would love his wife, and you double click on love as many times as you can, and it's Christ. Love, how does love look? What does love feel like? How does love uh, uh, function? That's what husbands are to do. And a wife is to respect her husband, to honor him, to, to cheer for him, to support him, to come alongside of him. And when a husband is loving his wife, oh, unconditionally, pursuing her passionately, caring for her deeply, when that is the case, then a wife naturally oh, will be his number one fan, his number one supporter, his number one respecter. And when a husband feels that respect and that love and that care and that support from his wife, you can do it, honey. When he feels that, he is going to be motivated to love his wife, to care for her, to come alongside of her, to come under her, to be over, just to do everything. And it's the circle. It's the per perfect circle that God has given to you and to me. So I'm going to pray now, and we're going to lock the doors. No one leaves. Father, in Jesus' name, we do pray for your blessing to be on us during this time as we study your word. I'm going to do my best to teach it, Lord, but it really, it, it stands alone. It's just powerful. It is so powerful, and I pray that every man here, every woman here wouldn't need anything more than what your word has simply laid out for us. But by way of worship, we would say, you said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that would be worship to you. And then you, Lord, because of our response, simply saying, your God, we're not, help us. When we give to you that way, Lord, our obedience, you then give to us your power and your peace, protection, and all things are made right. And so we just, we choose to link into you. And I do pray your blessing on our, on our time, that, Lord, I wouldn't say anything that is offensive or wrong. And if I do, it would fall on deaf ears. And if there's anything that is said that is right and true, that it would fall on pliable hearts. That, Lord, truly, there are marriages here that are flourishing. They're just doing great. There's love and respect happening. There's commitment. There's understanding. There's roles and responsibilities that are respected and honored. It's awesome. There's other families here, other marriages, Lord, that have they've been beaten up over the years. They've taken on some water, taken some hits maybe some bad counsel, or maybe just some straight-up sin. Maybe there's been sin from the husband or sin from the wife, rebellion or, or harshness. Lord, there's marriages here that just need healing. And in Jesus' name, if you're here this morning and your marriage, your relationship 
It needs healing. And maybe your marriage is already over and you need healing. You got out, but you're hurt. And you're here and you need healing. You need the Lord to heal your hurts. To give you his love that covers a multitude of sins and wounds. Or maybe you're a young married couple. and Man, this is not what I expected. And you need God to remind you that he's with you. Whatever the case may be, Holy Spirit, we give this time over to you and ask now that you would bless us as we study your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for a few disclaimers before I even get into the text today and the teaching and the introduction. We're talking about marriage, husbands and wives, genders and roles and responsibilities. Now, let me first of all just ask a question. Is this a topic in today's discussion? Anybody else talking about this in the world, about what marriage looks like and what marriage means and how to define it and, and how it looks? It's a discussion that is happening right now. So for me to stand here in the next 40 minutes and to say, well, this is pretty easy stuff. I don't know what the problem is. And just to kind of sew it all together and hand it to you would be a little bit absurd. And so I don't expect you to think this is an exhaustive teaching. We're going to go through the text and have some application points. But I would also say this, in the, not just the secular world, but in the church world, this is a, what we would call an open-handed discussion, okay? There are things, doctrines, theology in Christian world that are closed-handed. Everyone show me what a closed hand looks like. Everyone show me your closed hand. You guys look like you want to fight me, okay? That's what a closed hand is for. It's for fighting, Okay? You put your close hand around the close-handed issues that we don't really let go of. We don't negotiate. We don't debate. We don't even respect, at least by saying, well, you can believe that that's okay, and you're probably fine. There are close-handed issues that we say, no, this, this is the way it is. Okay? Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. He's the only atonement. He's the only way to be saved. There is heaven. There is hell. There, the virgin birth, the, 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 the theologies of the scriptures, those are close-handed and if you have your hand closed on those, you are a Christian. You're a Christian, and we then can have fellowship together on the open-handed issues. Everyone show me what an open hand looks like. An open hand. Oh, cool. I could shake your hand right now. I could shake your hand. We could hold hands. We could pray together. And if our closed-handed issues secure our salvation, and they elevate Jesus, and they honor his word, and they, they, they claim him as being God, the author, and the finisher, then our open-handed issues, we can actually have our hands open, and you can actually think differently than me on those open-handed issues and still be a Christian. And I can think differently than you, and I can still be a Christian. And then we can hold hands together and have fellowship as Christians and not divide over what we would consider the open-handed issues. I would say this, though, this idea of Roles, responsibilities, marriage, equality, diversity, men and women is a very significant and important open-handed issue. Very important. So as you conclude in your open-handed stance, I would just say, man, make it super biblical. Super biblical. No matter what you believe, you better have a this for a that. You might say, oh, I believe this. I say, okay, well, where's your verse for this? You got to have a, a reason, and, I, and some people believe in their open hand, well, I just believe it's this way, and I often just ask people in open-handed conversations, what made you come to that conclusion? Like, what, what book did you read, or what experience did you live through, or what were you taught, and how did you come to that conclusion? Rarely do I find the Bible being quoted and used 
for diverse and divergent and differing open-handed conclusions. Usually it's a, a deep-seated emotion or what I want or a cultural impression. I say, look, we got to come back to the scriptures, come back to the scriptures, and come back to the scriptures. The Bible says about the scriptures that God has elevated them even higher than his own name. In Israel today, they don't even say the name God. They don't say Yahweh. They don't say Jehovah. They don't even say it. It's so revered. As a matter of fact, if you're a Jew and you type out the word God, you will type G-D. You won't even type it. It's like, don't type that word, man. And God says, cool, I appreciate that respect. Guess what? My word's even above my name. My word. My word. My wo the word of God. And so I would say this. We're studying this portion of scripture this morning. And Paul is leading us now into what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys love the Holy Ghost goosebumps and you love the feeling of God's presence and the tears go You know, it's, just, it's awesome. You love it, right? Here's the deal. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just to give you the Holy Ghost goosebumps and the awareness of his presence and that beautiful feeling that we get. The power of the Holy Spirit is to do two things. That which you cannot do, okay, and that which you do not want to do. <laughs> Both of those are so uncomfortable. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to you to do what you are not able to do on your own. How many of you guys think that? I want to be a Christian. Lord, watch this. And you go running to try and do it. I'm a Christian now. Woo! You know. And the Lord says, no, no, no. I'm actually going to call you on the waters to the great unknown. I'm going to actually call you into stuff that's very uncomfortable. <gasps> Why? Because it's not about you. And if it was about you, you would just have your own fame and own religion and own deal. But it's not about you. I'm going to, the Holy Spirit is given to you for two reasons. To enable you to do that which you can't do. And that makes sense. Remember when Peter was in the boat? Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out on the waters. He can't walk on waters unless God wants him to. And God says, it's my will now. Come on out. And it made, his will became for Peter to walk on water. Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And the Holy Spirit is given to you to do the impossible. So right now, what's, what in your life right now is impossible? Not just in pertaining to marriage and relationships, but what's impossible right now? Ooh, that should make you happy. You should smile and say, I got all kinds of things that God is calling me towards that I can't do. And maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're overly budgeting, maybe you're freaking out and pulling your hairs out, what hairs remain, or maybe your hair's turning gray or whatever, and you're just scowling, and God would say, I'm calling you on purpose into something difficult. Why are you freaking out? It's not about you. The other thing, this is even more uncomfortable, is that the Holy Spirit gives you the power, not just to do what you can't do, but he gives you the power to do what you don't want to do, because you're a sinner, because you're rebellious because you're selfish, because you're nasty. You just look in that word in the Greek, sinner, it means nasty. That's you, that's me. We're messed up, and I, I don't want to be messed up anymore. And the Lord says, my Holy Spirit will help you. My Holy Spirit will change your attitude, change your heart. And not only will you be able to do that, which you can't do, you through my Holy Spirit will read the word, and you will be able to do, believe in, ascertain, understand, and apply that which you don't even like. If you're a Christian here today, you have a new mind and a new heart. Holy Spirit power, regenerate. You're born again. And now all of a sudden, your want-tos are different than the world's want-tos. Has that happened to you yet? 
Man, your want-tos are totally different now. And when you're born again, your want-tos are, and your get-tos are different as well because the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and you get to do things you couldn't do. You want to do things you didn't want to do. You're a new creation. Now, I say that to say this. We are living in a world that is not a new creation. Do you know them? Do you work with them? You, you, you talk with them? Are you married to them? <laughs> we work with the people. We live with the people that thinks absolutely contrary to the word of God and differently. Social media, uh, secular media, news media, uh, the government, the big government and the small government, school systems. Every single organization is moving quickly and fiercely and slowly away from being linked to and submitted to the things of God. So this causes a conflict, right? What the Bible teaches is not accepted in the circles of academia and popular opinions or votes. And that's where we, you and I, need the power to do this because we can't do it. And we need the power to like this because in our flesh, we don't like it. Last night, my wife and I were reading these verses together about 10 o'clock at night. And I said, when I read these verses, there's questions that come up in my mind. Just because I have questions, what this looks like. And, but there isn't a question in my mind that comes up in my mind that says, oh, man, Really? I love my wife like Christ loved the church. Oh, man. Come on. You know, was Paul really an apostle? You start asking stupid questions, you know. Was Paul even real? You know, there's no pictures, you know, whatever. And you start to, that, I just write, I was like, I don't get it all, but I, I take, it's, I, I like it. I like it. I, I, I do it. I'll do it. I'm not against or anti-Christ as the ungenerate world is. And when you're born again, your heart is softened to the things of the world. Now, let me just ask a few questions before I even get into this. I'm not, I got a lot to go through. You got to listen faster, okay? I'm talking too slow. Here's a few questions, though. How are things in our country going right now? Just how's our, everything going in our country? We, we just at the, are we, are, are we good? We're the picture. It's just awesome. Uh, I see a bunch of people shaking heads. Crime rates are steadily rising, uh, getting more and more grotesque and offensive. Uh, our nation is, in my opinion, absolute chaos. Like, it is a... a, 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 a Got it? It's, it's crazy. And now we got this upcoming election, like things are going to finally mellow out. I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. Like, buckle in. I don't know. I mean, this is nuts. Anyways, how are things on the, in the home going? Okay, the nation, we could easily pick on the nation. How is the home life going? I mean, there are homes even here, and generally speaking, that are flourishing, doing good, but the homes, the statistics of singleness and fatherless homes and poverty and children that are homeless, even in our own community and violence and all kinds of things and divorce rates are not going down, they're going up, both in Christendom and in the secular world. So here's another question, third question. Is our country, which is having problems, we just established that through just one question, is our country primarily run on Christian principles uh, now more or less than ever before. Okay, so just do the math. We're moving slowly, 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 surely, surely, surely away from the in God we trust, okay? The in God we trust. It's on our money, but we don't trust in God. We trust in money. We trust in power. We trust in all this comfort and all this other stuff. And so our country is going crazy and we're less connected to God's word than ever before. And you just got to do the math here this morning. And I can't fix the White House, I can't fix your house, but I can fix my house. And I can take God's word and I can apply it to my heart and I can do this particularly in its relation to me. So that being said, here's another list of questions. Does God uh, give us direction and instruction on all things? <sighs> yes, he does. And does God know what he's talking about when he wrote the instruction book? Okay, he, he does. Not only does he know how you're wired, he actually knows the future from the beginning. Like, he actually knows what's happening and says, you know what, if you do it this way, it's going to be legit. 
And if you do it this way, it's going to be weird. He knows. He knows, he knows, he knows. And uh, so God knows exactly what he's doing. And when you answer these questions, does God know what he's doing? And does God's word give us direction for what we're doing? The conclusion is, is it leads to a lifestyle conclusion. When you really believe this, and this is what's happening here. You chose your lifestyle has included in it coming to church. Most of you have in your lifestyle conclusion worshiping when you get here. Most of you have in your lifestyle conclusion giving of your tithes and offerings. I'm just going to worship. God gave to me first, and now God's giving through me back to the church. And this is your lifestyle conclusion is governed by God and his kindness and his goodness and his direction. And it is awesome. Okay. And you don't need to raise your hand too high, but any of you had a lifestyle conclusion that wasn't biblical or governed by God and got you like locked up, you know, or, or, or beat up or banged up or whatever, man, I've done it my way. You've done it your way too. And God says, hey, do it, do it my way. Try it. Try it. And the answer leads us to a lifestyle conclusion where he said it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, or you can go your own way, and uh, we know what that looks like. So walking in the Spirit. Now, this is somewhat of a standalone message on marriage, even though in the teaching and preaching and reading of this epistle, walking in the Spirit isn't a standalone issue for marriage. Walking in the Spirit means, we saw this last week, you're joyful. If you're truly filled with the Spirit, you're going to be joyful. You're also going to be thankful. There's so much to be thankful for, but I get so down sometimes when I'm in the flesh, thinking on a monetary level, kind of a myopic reality, and God says, hey, are you three-dimensional or two-dimensional? Are you going to heaven when you die? Are all things working together for good? And all of a sudden, I can be joyful, I can be thankful, I can be worshipful, I can have that tune. I found myself throughout the week singing under my breath to the Lord, just singing those songs. That's the Spirit governing your life and my life. And we also saw that the Spirit-filled person was submissive one to another. He goes then from verse 21 into verse 22 where he says, don't just be submissive one to another, which literally means to live for others' good and God's glory. That's the whole deal, by the way, okay? In marriage, living for others' good and God's glory. As a parent, living for their good and God's glory. As a neighbor, living for their good and God's glory. As an employee, living for my boss's good and God's glory. As an employer, living for my employee's good and God's glory. Submissive one to another in the role and in the responsibility God's given to you. There is order in everything. Have you noticed this? Order in everything. As a matter of fact, when there's not order in any, everything, we call it a riot, okay? We call it disorder, and things get crazy. But when things are in order, there's mutual submission and mutual service for your good. And when sin has been eradicated and a mind has been renewed, truly, mysteriously, all things with order are a blessing. I mean, do you realize that the government is actually established to take care of the people? Like, you realize that, right? But then sin and corruption and weirdness and big government and inflation and all this stuff. But the, the actual essence of the organization, police officers and first responders, that's amazing that we have them. Can you believe it? And the perfect idea is that these police officers and first responders are here specifically to care for us. We should feel like, and I do, I don't know about you, but I do feel like the most cared nation in the world, cared for. And all of these relationships... School, when you go to school, your teachers and those principals and those administrators and the students are like, careful what you say, bro. You know, when you go to school, they're there for your best interest. And yet, have you seen in schools and in governments and in first responders and in police and in families and in businesses, sin, selfishness, weirdness comes in. 
okay? Just, it's the plight of our whole culture. But to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, yeah, I'm not into any kind of organization, any kind of roles, any kind of responsibility. It's me, myself, and I, and that's the way it works. That's actually not the way it works. And so instead, he gives us these principles to be filled with the Spirit and to walk as God has ordered us and instructed us and actually created us to walk. Now, here's the deal. Again, as I pointed out, in this portion, I'm going to do my best to teach it exegetically. Then I'm going to take a few points from another pastor friend of mine that brings some real clarity, in my opinion. Um, and uh, what I see, though, here is this isn't just about husbands and just about wives. It's also about Jesus. I'm so thankful that Paul includes Jesus in this text, reminding us of why we're to respond the way he wants us to respond, reminding us that it's okay to be that husband that loses his life, lays it down for the sake of his wife and kids, that doesn't live for his own agenda, his own comfort, and his own ideas, but instead seeks to deny himself for the betterment of his wife and kids. And for the wife, as she's there with the Lord, says, this is my role, my responsibility to love my husband, to respect him, to submit to him, to follow him as unto the Lord. And as these two find themselves filled with the Spirit, because by the way, remember what the Spirit does? He equips us to do that which we can't do and that which we don't want to do. Okay, so if you're sitting here going, I don't know if I can do that, bingo. I don't know if I want to do that, ding, 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 that's you. You get to, this is perfect. And you then tap into the Holy Spirit and he leads you. And so the whole thing here is based on love. The whole thing is based on Christ's love for the church and then God's love given to the wives through the husband and God's love given to the husband through the wife. And the whole thing, in my opinion, is absolute harmony. Last week, I uh, reminded us and asked you the question, and most of you were scared to answer, but are men and women equal? Let me ask it again, okay? Some of you weren't here last week. Are men and women equal? Okay, you're right, they are. God created man and woman equal in his eyes. They're both representations of who he is. It's not 51%, 49%. That's not how equal. Whoa, how does that work? It's a mystery. I'm not quite sure. But you need to establish there's equality and great diversity. I asked you the question last week, are men and women equal? You're like, Meh. it was an inaudible sound. I didn't know. But I, I trained you. Yes, they're equal. But then I asked the other question, are men and women different? And you all said, yeah. oh man, you knew it. They're so different. Man, they are wildly different. It is just amazing. I just love it. I celebrate it. I celebrate the difference in men and women. It's so unique and so fun. When you realize God did it on purpose, that God did it not just to mess with you. It does that. But he did it to display his handiwork, to display heaven, to display a relationship between his son and his church. He did it for so many reasons. But is there not confusion between wives and husbands, between men and women? Reminds me of the man who found that genie bottle, and the genie popped out, and he got one wish. And he asked the genie, he said, I just got one wish. I really want to go to Hawaii, but I'm afraid to fly, and I get seasick, so I need you to build me a road to drive to Hawaii. And the genie said, are you kidding me? Do you know what kind of infrastructure that's going to take and the amount of tons of concrete and rebar and how difficult that's going to be? How about ask for something else? So the man said, okay, I understand. How about this? I've always wanted to understand the mind of a woman. And so the genie responded and said, would you like that road to Hawaii, two lanes or four? <laughs> no big deal. Right. Not true. Never happened. Fake story. Man. What does it mean, though, to submit to your God-given roles and responsibilities as a man and as a woman? Okay, the Bible, and I do premarital counseling, and one of my four pillars of strength 
is this honoring of the roles and responsibilities that are given through the scriptures. The Bible is not mute on this subject of roles and responsibilities, on marriage, on husbands and wives. It has lots of instruction from Peter, from Paul, from John, from Jesus. All of the books of the Bible pertain to and speak to this idea of marriage and this service one to another. So here's the deal. Marriage and controversy is a hotbed, and I'm going to seek my best to uh, teach it today. Some of you may leave very angry today, and others will leave very, very angry today. So I'm going to do my <laughs> best to offend everyone equally, and, and we'll just go out of here and say, praise the Lord. and Because um, this, this subject has led to millennia of debate, abuse, and pain, hasn't it? It really has. And if you're a husband here who's unbalanced, you'll take these verses and isolate them outside of the context that they're put in, and you'll be harsh to your spouse. And you'll lead your wife in a way that is non-biblical, non-Christ-like. Men and women have both taken these verses and either abused them or rejected them. You realize that in everything God gives us, there is the the road of truth. That's the balance in the middle. Every doctrine has the road of truth, which is the middle. And on one side is the right, and one side is the left. And on the right side, if you would, is the side of abuse, where you take God's truth and that's all you, and you go over here to abuse it, and you use it in an unbiblical way. Or you'll look at some of God's doctrines, the truth, and you'll say, I don't even want to think about that. I'm not going to do that at all. And you come on this side. Instead of abusing it, you neglect it, and you don't do it at all. Now, this is a danger for every single doctrine in the Christian faith, okay? Whether it's your giving of your tithe and offering, you might be on this side, and we've seen churches abuse tithe and offering giving, saying, you gotta give, 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 give. We're gonna have triple give Sunday. We're gonna take three offerings, and you're gonna give, and they abuse it. Then there's other sides of this idea of giving to the church. You say, I'm not giving at all. I'm not gonna give anything. I'm not giving my time, talent, or treasure. I'm over here. Listen, every doctrine has the middle ground, and so my goal is for us to, not just here, but in everything, to read it and to say, Lord, would you help me do what I can't do? And would you help me to do what I don't want to do in, in my sinfulness? I don't want to do this, but I will if you help me. I can't, but I can because you'll allow me to. Lord, this is so good. And we find ourselves then walking into a harmony, spirit-filled as we walk in our marriage uh, with one another and even our Christianity and our submission one to another. So in the Bible, as I said already, there's open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Let's navigate through this because being spirit-filled literally means submitting to another person for their benefit. Now, again, just think that through. I really like that. I almost took it out of my notes, but I left it in there because I just think it's so right. To be spirit-filled is submitting to another person for their benefit. I want to be filled with power, and I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want to be filled with his peace. And he says, Luke, all of that is for the benefit of other people, whether your kids or your spouse or your neighbors or your staff. And here, specifically, we're called to submit to the command from God for the harmony in our home. The wife is commanded and called and instructed to submit to the commands to respect her husband and to submit to him. And the husband is called, commanded, and instructed to submit. The husband's called to submit to the command to love his wife unconditionally, fully, and sacrificially. Now, we'll get into this whole idea of equality, and does this mean one's better than the other? The answer is, it starts with N, rhymes with O. No, one's not better than the other. That's not what this is. It's not talking. This has nothing to do with intelligence or IQ levels, okay, or adequacy or competence. None of the, nothing of this teaching has anything to do with that. As a matter of fact, before I forget to say it, and I might get in trouble for saying it, but I'm going to. I told you I'd offend you. 
There are, in my opinion, okay, in my opinion, when you say that, you should put your pen down and not take notes anymore. In, in my opinion, there are two camps that have led to an unhealthy conclusion in this gender role issue of equality and importance and competence and comparison. And these two camps are the chauvinists, okay, the male-dominant camps that say we're better, superior, whatever the case, and there's chauvinism that has happened in, our, in every culture that exists even today. And there's another camp called feminism, okay, ultra-feminism, where there's this defense and this response to chauvinism. And both of these camps are guilty, in my opinion, of making the question come to our mind, is this saying one's better than the other? Now, if you read the Bible, the Bible's not talking about better or inferior or superior. It is specifically given the harmonious roles that the Spirit has foreordained and outlined for you and I to walk in harmony for the betterment of somebody else. It has nothing to do with what I believe these other camps, and that's very simplified generalizations, so don't email me um, about that. Just pray. Just pray for you and the people you love. And so here's the deal. Uh, the, the <laughs> doesn't mean that one is better than the other. The command, though, is just so we would fulfill that picture of God and his love for the bride. As a matter of fact, let's focus on Jesus real quick. We see in this portion of scripture here that Jesus loves us in four different ways. Number one, he's the head. Okay, It says Jesus is the head of the church. To be the head means you've taken responsibility for. You look at the body that is all messed up and going its own way and doing its own thing, and the head steps in and says, I'll take the blame for that. I'll take the responsibility for that. I'll take the rap for that. I'll take over leadership for that. And Jesus looked at you and looked at his bride and said, I will step in and I will receive the punishment. Did, did Christ receive your punishment for you? Not only did he receive the punishment for me, but he also, as the head, borrowed, lent me, granted, gave me his righteousness from himself. Because he's the head of the church, he took away my sin, took away my problems, covered me, and gave me his righteousness. Jesus is the head. He's taken responsibility. He's also the savior. That's what it says in the scriptures here. He saved us. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other but him, and he has gone to the cross for us. It also says he's the giver. He gave of himself. The father gave of the son. The son gives of, or the spirit gives of everyone, and God is just a giver. And here this scripture reminds you and me that it's all about love. First, I think it's 27. It says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, says he who loves himself. Verse 29, no one hated himself, but nourishes and cherishes his body just as the Lord does the church. Did you know that Jesus not just died for you? Isn't that kind of cool? Like, you could actually remove yourself from that scene. They'll be like, yeah, that's cool. I wasn't there. I'm sure it was great. Glad he did that. Thank you. You could also say he loves me, and he's ahead of me. The Bible says that just as Christ loves and nourishes the church, so too a husband should love and nourish. Aren't those cool words? I mean, those are really descriptive words, loving and nourishing. And I think of Jesus sometimes as being kind of a boss, doing what needs to be done, you know, getting her done, I know, get her done, you know, and going to just take care of the world, and, do you really know that Jesus loves and nourishes you, though? He really does. He cares for you deeply. He cares about everything you're going through. He's gone to the cross. He's paid for you. He's, take, he's taken that position of leadership, but he loves and nourishes you as well, and he asks us to respond the same way. Now that we see how Jesus uh, 
demonstrated his love for us. Let's see how wives and husbands are instructed by Jesus to then love those who are around them uh, in that relationship. Look at verse 22. We're going to study this exegetically and make some comments, and then uh, we'll pray. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There it is, ladies, right there in the Bible, and uh, it's just very clear. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And notice the asterisk at the end there, as to the Lord. I already mentioned that in my opening comments. He says, do it as unto the Lord. In other words, ladies, you can say, I'm going to follow you, honey. I got it. I'm going to follow you because I'm really following Jesus, and he's going to knock you out if you don't do this right. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. It's right there. Lord, (laughs) I'm following my husband. You better guide him. You better, you better direct him, okay? I'm behind him. He's behind you. This will be okay. This will be okay. I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to submit to him as unto the Lord. He goes on to say, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. He says, the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. I love this comparison, lest you reject this altogether. We've already talked about that. Is Christ the head of the church? Okay. While I just asked you, it wasn't a vote. I asked you, what was true. We don't get to vote on this. Is Christ the head of the church? There are churches that have decided to not put Christ as the head. They voted wrongly. They're in errancy and they're going down the wrong path. There is no vote here. God didn't ask. Christ assumed that position. So too for husbands, for the guys in this marriage relationship that is godly and biblical. He says, husbands, there's no voting here. You don't get to opt out. You're the head. And a husband might say, well, I don't want to be the head of the house. Well, no one asked you. You're the head of the house, just like Christ is the head of the church. And this is a great weight of responsibility put on the men. And there are way too many men, especially in our day, maybe not this church, praise God, but in our day that aren't rising into this position of leading their families, of taking that responsibility, this elongated adolescence. Okay, the average male gets married at age 29. The average woman gets married at 27. It's just, it's elongating. And even then, males, by and large, more and more and more staying home and not going into the workforces and staying and and mooching off mom and mooching off girlfriends and playing video games professionally. What is that? You don't, this headship is leadership. It's ownership. It's taking charge. And so the question for you men, especially who are married, isn't am I the head? It's am I a good head or a bad head? You don't get a vote. You're the head, but you might not be a very good one, okay? And the weight of responsibility is on you. And this national fatherhood dilemma is is staggering. Um, Almost half of all children born this next year will be born to fatherless homes. What is almost half? Not quite. It depends on what poll you read. It's, It's getting crazy. The men. Men have lost their way, have lost their minds, have lost their submission to what God has called them to be the head. Just as, can you imagine if Christ did that to the church? Eh, eh. No, we can't. Without Christ, we are lost. And so, too, as the Father goes, so goes the home in so many cases. Okay? So many cases. As a matter of fact, if you're a, if you're a husband here today, you're, you're the head. And if your wife isn't flourishing and your kids are going south and your finances are out of whack, or, or your family is suffering. It may not be your direct fault, but it is your direct responsibility. You might not have caused it, just like Christ didn't cause your sin, but Christ stepped in and absorbed it and said, I'll take, I'll take over, okay? I'll take the responsibility, and I'm not even going to rub it in your face. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to cover you 
And the men are called to be the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 34, 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, again, he uses this contrast, lest it be a standalone command to wives in an abrasive way. He says, just like the church is subject to Jesus, let wives be subject to their husbands. Now, does the church love Jesus? That's you guys. Do we love Jesus? We love Jesus. And is this church then, in doing so, are we alive? Are we alive? We have in our life, we're, we're having a good time here. And does the church have a voice? That's us. Do we have a voice? And do we have free will, the church? Do we have free will? And uh, is the church beautiful when it flows in its giftings and purposes for Jesus? And the church that loves Jesus and follows Jesus is, it's the best. Can you, it's the best. I believe that the church, the healthy church, is the hope for the world. Okay, the church, it doesn't get any better than the church. There is no better organization. There is no better thing than the church that is submitted to Jesus. Now, God says, yeah, that's how wives are. That's how wives are. When a wife loves the husband, she's free. She is blessed. She is full. She is full to be herself, and she is going to be a blessing, just like the church is to be a blessing to everyone. And when the church is blessed, it's a blessing. And when a wife is blessed, she's a blessing also. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Again, it's not just saying, I, I do, I do, I do. You know, that's not, that's, that's, it's easy to get married. Isn't it easy to get married? It's harder to stay married and to stay loving and to stay covering your wife for 50-plus years. Okay, putting a suit on and paying the bills and signing some forms, super easy. It's not what it's saying here. It's saying, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. And I'll tell you what, it also, we've heard and seen it already, husbands are to be respected by their wives. But if you want your wife to respect you and to submit to your leadership, you better love her more than you love your own body. You can track what a man loves by just looking at what he spends his time and money on. To see where his time and money go. And if it's not on his wife, if it's not on his kids, there's something out of balance. And if there's not love and harmony in the house, just where's, where do you, what are you living for, dudes? What are you living for? And I do a lot of the stuff around my house. I take care of stuff. I, I, I make the, the paycheck at my house. And every once in a while, I get a little bit tired at my house. But every lots of once in a while, I think to myself, this is what God's called me to. Loving my wife and loving my kids. This is, this is a, I get one shot at this. I get, this is awesome. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do or die trying. This is, and it's, it's on the guys to love their wives unconditionally. And this is why so many marriages struggle and fail, because men miss the whole design for marriage. They often think that marriage is about fulfilling their own interest or finding completion in something. And marriage is a ministry of service and dying to self for others' good and for God's glory. So if your marriage isn't doing good right now, I'm just going to be honest, it's on you guys. It's on the guys. You're the head, and God has asked you to step up. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holding without blemish. Stop right there, eyes up here. Uh, this idea of washing the church through the water of the word. Now, speaking of the scriptures and speaking of the church, this is how you as a church will find yourself nourished and strengthened when you get into God's word. He's talking about Jesus to the church. He's also talking about husbands to wives. But specifically, this is how you as a Christian, both man and woman, are going to stay clean, stay right, stay pure, stay presentable, stay legit. Please stay in the word. I was over talking to Denny uh, Burke over there a couple days ago. I was at his house, and he was just exhorting me and Pastor Bo. Just, man, he said, when you, when you stop reading in the mornings, when you just stop and get away from that and get busy, when that happens, it's just a mess. Everything falls apart. 
And I was just so exhorted, just think, man, that's so simple, so simple, but so basic, stay in the word. Now, specifically for husbands and wives, he says this, and I'm just going to teach this fast, so, so pay attention. He says, husbands, wash your wives in the water of the word. Now, how many husbands out there have ever said, honey, I'm going to wash you real quick, go ahead and sit down. Uh, we'll start with some scriptures, uh, and you start reading, and obviously you pick Proverbs 31, you know, you're going to read that to your wife, you know, and then you don't talk for a week, and it's awesome. <laughs> here's the deal, and here's what I've learned, and I actually learned this from my dad, he's sitting in the back. In, in this portion of scripture where it says, husbands, wash your wives in the water of the word, the word word there is not logos, which means written word. In the Greek, it's actually rhema, which means spoken word. And he says, husbands, wash your wives in the water of the rhema, the spoken word. In other words, in my understanding, in my application, my dad's as well, that when a husband speaks a rhema word, that is a audible word to his wife, not necessarily out of the scriptures, that too, but when a husband just talks to his wife, engages with his wife, makes eye contact with his wife, includes her in his life and is included in her life and vice versa, there's this washing and cleansing and equipping. It's the rhema word. And so I would just say this, guys, gals, being married isn't just signing papers and putting a suit and a dress on. It is a lifestyle of living for the good of others and the glory of God, submitted to each other in this, husbands and wives. And this rhema word idea means you're conversing with each other. Please do this, especially in our digital age, have you ever sat there, husbands and wives, in the same room and texted each other? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because you've done it. Man, you gotta, you got to work hard at this, to speak to one another and just cleanses one another. He goes on, uh, so husbands ought to, verse 28, love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Man, always on your mind, always thinking. How often do you think about yourself, guys? All day long. He says, that's how you should be thinking about your family. Now, what's the Holy Spirit do? He equips you to do that which you cannot do and that which you don't want to do. Okay, you can't do this, guys. You can't do this, gals. You can't do this. This is part of the being spirit-filled. Don't try this on your own. It's going to end up weird. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. He says, this is all connected. This is so important. This isn't you. By the way... And I speak lightly here. I know there's lots of pain in the room, and there's divorce, and there's problems, and there's singleness, and there's been death, and there's widows, and there's all these people who are sitting here going, ah, Luke, this hurts to even hear talking about this harmonious marriage, and I understand all that. But he says here we're connected. We're one. And I do a lot of weddings. I've been to a lot of weddings. And when I go to a wedding, the thing that surprises me is the amount of people that show up to support and celebrate this couple coming together, and then the lack of people that are there with that couple when they sign divorce papers. Now, I think it should be a rule. It will never happen, but I think it should be a rule that the amount of people that came to the ceremony should also go to the divorce ceremony and should walk with you along the way. We're in this together, and again, I speak lightly. I realize things have fallen apart for a number of you. I get that. I'm not shaming you, but God says, hey, we're all one. We should walk together in unity. Have you, you guys ever had a sore bone or bone of my bone? Have you ever had a sore muscle or a sore ligament or a sore blister, and the whole body gets messed up? And Jesus says through Paul, and the Holy Spirit, this is how marriage should look. It's all together. Verse 30 again, for we are members of his body, his flesh, and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, by the way, some would say this is a controversial verse, and I would say, yep. <laughs> verse 32. And uh, <laughs> it's all controversial until you have a mind that's been renewed. Isn't that crazy? And when your mind is made new, you're like, all right, Lord, you, you said it. I believe that that settles it. And until your heart is new, 
Every, just keep reading. It's all controversial in our world. Verse 32, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I talked through that kind of fast, but I, I want to give some application points. And uh, these are taken from author and uh, pastor uh, Mark Driscoll out of one of his teachings. He actually writes a book on marriage called Real Marriage. It's very brunt and brunt blunt, and a for, brunt's kind of a cool word too, blunt and forthright, so read it at your own risk. But let me just ask a few questions just so you can kind of understand this, what it doesn't say and what it does say. Okay, what does it mean for a wife to submit and respect like Jesus? Number one, it does not mean that the wife is less valuable, intelligent, or competent. Okay, both men and women are equally and uh, in the image and likeness of God created. They have equal dignity, value, and in addition, it doesn't mean that men are more important than women. I've already established that. It's not what it means. Okay? It also, number two, this does not mean, again, the question is, is what does it mean for a wife to submit and respect like Jesus? Number two, this does not mean that men in general are to be ruling over women in general. I hope you heard that. This does not mean men in general are to be ruling over women in general. If I were to tell my daughter, hey, you're my daughter, and you got to submit to all men everywhere. Sorry, that's how it works. Have you seen all men everywhere? That's not the advice I give her. So I tell her, I tell you, watch out for these dudes. You don't listen to them. This is pertaining to a husband and a wife in a Christian marriage. Okay, this isn't all women everywhere submitting to all men. Don't think that. This isn't that kind of reality that you're maybe looking for or tipped over about all we're talking about here is a one woman one man monogamous christian marriage that's the instructions that are given here number three it does not mean that the wife does not have her independent thoughts okay you don't walk up to the wife and say hey what do you think about this and then this submitted wife says i don't know honey what do i think about this that's not what it means at all Okay, you, you have your independent thoughts, you have your autonomous thoughts, doesn't mean you're just subject to everything your husband thinks, you have your own thoughts. Uh, my wife has her own thoughts, lots and lots and lots of thoughts. <laughs> She's back there, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I value them, and you would too, husbands. Man. Anyways. Number five, or four, it doesn't mean that the wife cannot seek to influence her husband. This is so, so mysterious and magical. Did you know that the wife was created to help Adam? In other words, Adam was lost without his wife. Adam couldn't do it well without his wife. And so God said, Adam, I love you, but you're no good at this. Let me go ahead and create for you a helpmeet, okay? One who will help you and complete you in this way and will seek to then in godly respect and godly wisdom influence you. As a wife, your job, okay, is to respect your husband by way of influencing him to be better, okay? To grow closer to God, to be more strong, more equipped, more sound. You don't sit in the back and say, well, he's the head. He's going to make his own decisions. I don't have a voice. Eh! Not what the Bible teaches. Absolutely not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, uh, number six says, this does not mean that a wife ignores all of her husband's flaws. Well, I got to submit to him. It's what he does. That's not what it means at all. As a matter of fact, as a wife submits respectfully to her husband, she is on, in her own unique way, allowed to see and be closer to her husband than anyone else and see all of his flaws. And let's be honest, ladies, you want a, a husband you can respect. You want to respect him. And God has given to you access to your husband to see his flaws and to come alongside of him respectfully and say, you know what I see? 
Is that a sign? <laughs> to come along and respectfully, not just accept all of his flaws, but help him work on his flaws, okay? This is a beautiful, harmonious relationship. Most guys are blind as far as their color perception. And if you're smart, guys, when you get dressed, you'll go to your wife and say, does this look good? And she'll tell you, no, what are you doing? And she'll help you along the way. And so too in your life, if you use your wife as a counsel, as one who would speak into your life, it doesn't mean the wife ignores all her husband's flaws, but she helps him to grow nearer to Christ. Number seven, and I'm almost done. This does, this does mean that the wife sets a pattern for others to respect her husband. And so let me ask you this. If the wife disrespects her husband in front of the kids, how does that impact the kids? The kids are going to disrespect their dad as well. If the wife disrespects her husband in front of his friends or his employees or employers, and there is a time and a place for a wife and a husband to come together in mutual submission and respect, okay, in privacy and respect and say, hey, let's talk about that. And that is beautiful and that is spirit-filled and that is impossible without the spirit. And it is uncomfortable even with the spirit, but he will call you to do those things. What's it mean then for a husband uh, to love and lead like Jesus? Number one, the question again isn't, are you the head, but are you a good head or a bad head? Okay, we live in a day when men are acting like boys, and uh, they're abandoning their responsibilities, and uh, you just have to rise up, guys. Number two, um, this men, uh, we're not the highest authority. Okay, so if you're a dude here, you're the head, but you're not the highest. Did you know that above you, men, and, and beyond you, and in subjection over you is the church, the, elder, the elders and pastors, that's what the Bible teaches? And if you're a bad head and you're doing things to your family that aren't right, you're going to be in trouble with the leadership here. And then if you go beyond that, there's not just the government of the church, but there's also the government of the state, government of the country. We're not the highest authority. We submit to the government, not just beyond that government, but we submit to the word of God. And not just the word of God, but we submit to Jesus Christ. Now, I say that to say this. Every one of us here today is submitted to somebody else, okay? And the people that are under you, if you would, that you are head over and leading, that is delegated authority God's given to you for their benefit and his glory. If you're in charge of anything at all, or you're a head, or you're a leader, or you're, a, or you're a staffer, or you're a manager, or you're a female or a male, whatever, it is delegated authority that's been given to you for their good and for God's glory. So men, you're not the highest. There is more above you, so don't abuse that. Uh, number four, men are to love their wife and not just who she will become okay a lot of guys wait well i'll love her when she's lovable okay i'm not sure that's a verse i'm not sure that's there i'm not sure that's what jesus did as a matter of fact jesus did the opposite jesus said that in this while you were yet sinning i died for you husbands don't wait the command is there it's fresh it's there it is it's there don't just love who she will become well when she stops this or when she loses that or when she starts nope nope Love her now, and she will also become at that point more lovable in your eyes. It's just the way it works. I tell couples that when you do the motion, which is the right thing, God will give you the emotion. You'll, you'll feel it. Well, I don't feel like loving her. Well, do what <clears throat> Holy Spirit said. Do it. And he'll tell you to do what you can't do, and he'll enable you to do what's uncomfortable. And when you do it, he'll give you the emotion to do it as well. I'm almost done here. We're wrapping up. Uh, number five, love your wife whatever comes your way. This is commitment. Okay, whatever comes your way, whether she gets sick, things, things don't work out, things get difficult. That, I didn't sign up for this. I married a healthy wife, or I married a rich wife, or I married a successful wife, or I married, and all, everything fell apart. You love your wife no matter what comes your way. 
okay? This is a commitment unto death. Number six, the most important human friendship in your life is your wife, guys. How do you love and cover and lead your wife? She's the most important person, okay? And if that's not true today, if that hasn't been you, repent and make that your new goal. Number seven, as the family leader, we take responsibility for the well-being of our family, okay? So that's all the way down. Wives, kids, grandkids, it's your responsibility, okay, to oversee and to make sure that your kids and your stuff are going the direction they're supposed to be going. And lastly, I'm going to have the worship team come up because we're out of time. Number eight, your wife is a garden and you're the gardener. Do you know there's two things always guaranteed in a garden? Fruit of increase and the showing up of weeds. Any, any gardeners here? Man. And the fruit of increase takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy. Okay? It's guaranteed, though. When a seed goes into the ground, it comes out. It's just, it's just the way it works. It's God's deal. It's like, it's, it's magic. People always come over to my garden like, man, you're such a good gardener. I'm like, uh, the dirt and the seed and put it in. and Okay, I can't take the credit. But what I do know is my responsibility is to get those weeds out, to cultivate, and to work on it. As a, as a husband, you're the gardener. Your family's the garden. Is there fruit? Nope, not really. Okay, that's on you. You're the gardener. Are there weeds popping up? Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, really? Cool. Better put your gloves on. Better put your gloves on. And God calls us to do all of this by his Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to be a kid and what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a boss. So no matter who you are today, no matter what you're going through, whether you're single or like I prayed at the beginning of the service, maybe you're not married, maybe you were and it didn't work well, maybe you blew it or somebody hurt you deeply and you're trying not to cry right now, you too need the Holy Spirit to fill you, to heal you, to call you out on the water. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, male, female, all of us, married, young, old, single. Lord, in Jesus' name now, as we prepare to take communion, we do so as the body, the family. There is no difference. There's no male nor female. When it comes to salvation and sanctification, Lord, you just see us as your bride. And you've loved us and adored us and cared for us. And so today, Lord, in Jesus' name, we receive from you that which we cannot do for ourselves. And if you're here today and you're man or woman or husband or wife or single or married, you're, and you just need the Holy Spirit to help you, to fill you, that's what he's talking about, to fill you so that way you could do that which you can't do, and so that way you would be able to do that which you don't want to do. And you're having a tough time and you know, would you just raise your hand right now? Just humble yourself. Submit to the Holy Spirit right now. Raise your hand. That's just between you and him. And Holy Spirit, I pray for the wives and I pray for the husbands, that Lord, they would seek the scriptures that they would seek, Lord, your input. They would seek, Lord, your power to be the best husbands, the best wives, the best moms and the best dads and the best grandpas and grandmas and the best aunts and uncles, and the best brothers and sisters we could be, Lord. We love you and we need you. And I'll be the first to say, God, you're the head. Lead me. Lead me. Forgive me of my sins and cover me. Anoint me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And others here would say the same. If that's you, just say, me too. Just say, me too, under your breath. Say, me too, Lord. You're the head. Say, me too, Lord. You're the head of me too, Lord. Just say it under your breath. Say, me too. I submit to you, Lord. I submit to you, Lord. And we love you, Jesus, and pray that we would be anointed to live the lives you've asked us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.